Welcome to the Berkeley Innovation Podcast, brought to you by Berkeley Engineering Satarja Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology, SCET, on the thriving campus of the University of California, Berkeley. Hello, friends. This is Stephen Torres, your host on this journey of entrepreneurship, innovation, and achievement. In this Student Stories episode, we're joined by Alec Willerman. Alec is a senior at the Haas School of Business. He was recently recognized as the best course coordinator in the fall of 2019 amongst Satarja Center classes. Alec was the course coordinator for the Strategic Thinking and Technology course, which walks students through a strategic perspective of entrepreneurship. In the episode, he shares his journey, some of the things he's looking to in the future, as well as his journey to Berkeley. I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. And he's certainly very candid in sharing with you. Let's get right to the episode. All right, Alec. Well, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Of course. So first, um, congratulations on recently being named the best course coordinator for Sitargis Center in our Thank you. fall 2019 classes. How, how did it feel? You know, I, I initially was a little bit unsure how I felt about the whole awards in general, you know, the best instructor, best course coordinator, but winning the award, I thought was a really great opportunity to address, you know, the greater SCET community about the things that are important to me. You know, they gave me a couple minutes uh, when I accepted the award to, you know, talk about what I want to use my facilitation skills to accomplish in the future. And this was a great opportunity for me to communicate with the community and just talk about what's important to me. So that was really exciting. Yeah. So, so let, let's talk about that. What do you want to use your facilitating skills for in the future? Well, I think one thing that's becoming clear in the development of technology and the more rapid pace that this is happening is that the range of potential good and bad is quite large. You know, in the in the past, a new technology comes out and each time it feels in these major revolutions that the good and bad only gets greater. And let's take nuclear technology as an example. Okay. You know, the good is fantastic, a sustainable source of energy, uh, these sorts of things. But the bad... It's kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could take out the entire human race multiple times over. You know, and what's what's scary consequences, yeah. right? And what's scary about that is the bad was developed before the good. You know, we're still working on the renewable aspects, but the weaponizable side of things was easier or more quickly developed. And so I, I think this is an important example to keep in mind when we consider artificial intelligence, when we consider implanting technology into the body. The potential for good is is fantastic. You know, we can completely change the efficiency of our economy and and I was talking to one of the Siddhartha Center fellows a couple of days ago about climate change mm -hmm. and how the obstacles and the challenges that humanity is facing are some of the greatest we've faced. Yep. And he was also telling me that in his experience, you know, not many people are willing to make sacrifices to their lifestyle. And so in that sort of situation, you know, they will go to war before they sacrifice their lifestyle. This is what he was suggesting. Yep. And so we have to innovate so quickly. Mm -hmm. that we can create everything that we need mm -hmm. to solve climate change while at the same time not needing to sacrifice our lifestyle. And you think that's possible? I think anything is possible. Yep. But what I think is important to consider here is that in the development of these innovative technologies, a lot of things about what it means to be human is going to have to change. How do we work? Where do we live? Where does our food come from? What sorts of choices do we get to make? 
you know, and with with AI, a lot of things are, are going to be more automated. Yeah. And so I, I think given that the potential good and bad are so wide, that it's important to facilitate conversations that involve a lot of different perspectives. And it's not just the typical, and I, I don't want to bring race and gender into it, but, you know, there's always a set about the white men who are at the top of a lot of the organizations today. I think it's important that a lot of different people and experts from many different fields, you know, political science experts, mm-hmm. history experts, philosophy experts, computer science experts, biotechnology experts, all these people are coming together to make these decisions from across cultures, across languages. Um, And facilitation, I think, is one of the keys here. It's what allows these conversations to take place in an effective way. And uh, this is what I want to do. I want to be part of this conversation. I want to facilitate these conversations. And so uh, winning that course coordinator work. Uh, award is uh, definitely along the lines of uh, being a great facilitator. Well, I think that the reason I won is because of my facilitation ability. What I think these students appreciate most about my work is that I'm able to remove some of the barriers that they have to teamwork and growing. Yep. And I think that these are the same sorts of barriers that need to be removed um, in order for productive conversations to take place in technology innovation of any kind. Yeah, that's awesome. And so this is kind of the first step. This is I'm doing something right, at least on the small scale, yeah. to kind of give me a push to move to the bigger scale that I was just mentioning. And full full disclosure, um, Alec is my course coordinator, <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of biased uh, in this. Yes, uh, you do a great job. So l- let's talk a little bit about this because one of the things that I, I'd love to get to, you're from, where are you from? Born in Chicago. I grew up in San Diego, California. Yeah. And how did you end up at Berkeley? You know, I think I had a, it wasn't as intentional as I, I, I would have liked to have been at that point in my life. I was kind of applying to the best schools I could think of, you know, Harvard, the junior college across the bay um, in Berkeley. And at the time, I, I, you know, I cried when I got in. Yeah. And this is because awesome. of, of all the schools that I had been getting accepted to. Finally, when I got Berkeley, I was like, okay, all of this work that I did in high school, it's finally worth it. Yeah. You know, and and I don't know that I share that perspective now, but at the time it was certainly a very moment of culmination. And, and why, so, why do you say you may not share that the that thinking now? Well, no, I think I'm a little disillusioned with formal education. Yeah. How so? How so? Well, I think, first of all, you put a bunch of brilliant people together and then you put them on a curve. Yeah. How does this make sense? So you're talking about the grading, not necessarily yeah. the education. Okay. Well, the education is very in line with the grading and you know, what are students here for? That's a good question to ask and considering the yeah. education. A lot of them are here for good grades. This is what they want. And of course, they want to learn and they have these higher order desires. But at the end of the day, a lot of students are here because they want an A. Yeah. You know, and when you are having them compete against each other in classes where th- theoretically all of them are smart enough to get an A. All of them are capable of getting an A. Sure. Um, and it's that way, regardless what university you're at, I would argue. I, this is why I say I'm disillusioned with formal education in general. You know, and Berkeley certainly falls into those lines. I think what's exceptional about Berkeley is, I mean, there's excellence in any regard that you want. So no matter what you're looking for, there are excellent, brilliant people on this campus. And what I think the Siddhartha Center does so well is bringing these people together in a lot of their different programs to, you know, create innovative solutions to real problems, alternative meets, um, blockchain technology, you know, all, all sorts of these things. They're able to combine fantastic individuals in many different fields. And this goes back to facilitation. Again, I think it's it's an important key to making all of this work. And we're, I mean, to, to be really transparent, we're a little different here, right, in our teachings and the way that we do things than maybe some of the other um, areas on, on campus. Um, it's funny because I was just talking yesterday with one of the students in our class 
he was an international student or is an inter international student. One of the things that he said, having gone through our courses, is the way that we teach is so different, right? Having it's because we don't teach. We facilitate learning. Explain this. You know, one thing that I, I loved about Stephen the first day I walked into our technology firm leadership class last spring was he, he gets in front of the class and he says, I want this to be the best leadership class ever taught on Berkeley's campus. And, everyone, and all the students are like, okay, all right, what do you got for us? And he immediately turns it around on them. But that doesn't happen because of me. That happens because of you. Yes, exactly. And so I think that that's an important paradigm shift to make in education. It's, you know, I, I, when I sit in a class and the professor is just lecturing, I could watch videos online. Yeah. Like, quite frankly, a lot of the professors, it, it, to give two hour, four hours a week to sit there to listen, it, it's painful yes. at times. <laughs> but you know who is brilliant and I'd love to interact with on a regular basis? It inspires me to learn from my classmates. And so this is a paradigm shift to, to say that we're here to facilitate learning because everything we need is already in the room. You know, it's about figuring out, learning to work together. And so how did you decide you wanted to be a course coordinator? I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> so when I was a freshman, they were starting the MET program, the Management Entrepreneurship and Technology program, which they like to think is prestigious. And so I was thinking, you know, I would have loved to do this, be a double major in electrical engineering, computer science, and business. This is what I would have loved to do. So as a freshman, I was thinking, okay, how can I kind of get my way in there? And so my original thought was to kind of, you know, with, with a curriculum as rigorous as theirs is, and let's be clear, it is a very rigorous curriculum, curriculum that they have, there are certainly mental health concerns. And so I wanted to kind of be there and help form a, you know, a mentorship program among students. I ended up going abroad with the Siddhartha Center and doing the European Innovation Academy. It's a in Torino, Italy. In Torino. I, I got close with the Siddhartha Center that way. And so when I got back to campus for my sophomore year, I knew Ken Singer, who was the instructor of that class. Yeah. And I come to the first day, I, and I made sure to look the part. So I just go to their first class, dressed in a collared t-shirt with a Berkeley logo on it. Yeah. And I'm like, you should make me your TA. You know, <laughs> and th the decision makers were in the room. Ken was there. The other co-professor, Mary Moore Patterson, was there. And the leader at the time of the MET program was there. And based on our relationship and um, the initiative I took, they were able to just make this decision right there. Here's our TA. There hadn't been one. Now there is. And so that was kind of what got me in the door. So you little little entrepreneurial spirit to go and uh, get yourself a role. Yeah. And Ken likes to say that that's one of the things I'm good at is getting into things in an interesting way. So that was an exciting opportunity. Yeah, and, and then meeting all the students, I mean, they're fantastic. So yeah. it, it, was a, it was an honor to be part of that. Yeah, they're, they're certainly uh, fantastic. And after that first experience, you liked it enough to want to have more pain inflicted on you. <laughs> <laughs> Course coordinator, is that right? Yeah, you get a lot of A minus complaints. Let me tell you that. <laughs> But uh, so then I went abroad to Argentina to learn Spanish. Yeah. And while I was... Español? Hablo Español, si ah, quieres bueno. hacer este podcast en Español, podemos. <laughs> Pero... Um, back to English. Back to English. So I was in Argentina and I was thinking about, okay, I want to do some work. I want to get more involved with this at Argent Center. And I had done sports tech with Steven and I had been inspired by that class. Uh, we had some excellent projects come out of that class. And uh, I, that was what got me started with the whole idea of facilitation. That kind of opened my eyes to this is a potential core competency of mine. So I emailed Stephen kind of just out of the blue 
and I guess I had delivered in sports tech enough to build credibility. Yeah. And, and you were in Torino, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were Ken Singer's TA, right? So it's yeah, kind yeah. of compounds. Yeah, so it came together, and I worked with Stephen 171 with another student instructor named with Guinevere, Guinevere, who was also fantastic. Amazing. And so do you plan to do more uh, course coordination for us? I do. I'll be working on 171, Technology from Leadership. Berkeley Changemakers, I hear Stephen is changing the title to. That's right. uh, Next semester. And I encourage any student who wants the best job on campus to try to be a course coordinator because, one, you learn so much from the classes. So you're basically a student in the class. Yeah. And you're getting paid to do it. And you're meeting all sorts of fantastic students. You know, I walk around every day now on campus and I see students that I've had. Yeah. And it's it's a good feeling. I mean, it, it... you're getting paid to do something that's really good for yourself. You yeah. know, the course prep, you're reading all these sorts of fantastic books. So yeah, it was a, it's, it's a great experience. I definitely recommend course coordinatorship to anyone. And now, so I want to ask, how is it being a course coordinator in classes with students who in many ways are your peers, right? This was a difficult, you know, I'm still trying to walk the line well. Yeah. And it's hard because I want to be friends. I want to be very chill with them. I hate grades so i you know being a hard ass at times is not what i'm interested in doing and what's frustrating too is and because you're the one who keeps track of a lot of the scores exactly right? so when someone you i know in my classes you keep track of do people actually contribute and participate and try and move conversations forward and when someone's not doing that you have to mark that down like yeah they're not participating they're not contributing or you know someone's like i have a job interview in shanghai can i miss class it's just like these sorts of questions don't even compute to me. But it's like, <laughs> of course you can miss class, you know. The syllabus outlines what the consequences will be. But you know, and but I and I don't want to mark them down. I want I want them to go to Shanghai and do yeah. their interview. And then they're my peers, so it's a tough line to walk. But I think that's a really important skill to learn is to is to learn a sort of leadership or super take to take a supervisory role amongst your peers. I think especially in a young startup where you have co-founders that are your age or perhaps even, you know, more qualified than you in some ways and to be a leader to them, it's very important to have that tact to supervise them effectively while maintaining your peer relationship. Yeah, it it certainly sets you up for working in the workplace when you have people that you come into and eventually you end up managing or leading them. Um, I I think that's a a great skill to have. You know, difficult. it's very difficult, but I think you're learning a lot. And I, I think some of your, your peers are, are learning a lot in that regard as well, right? You know, I want to get back to the facilitation point because, you know, one of my favorite quotes, actually, I think it was John Maxwell who said it, people hate to be taught, but they love to learn. Where did this love of learning come from for you? I was a curious kid. I would ask my mom about eight whys on any given thing. And eventually she'd be like, Alec, you just got to go to bed now. <laughs> you, know, you can ask more whys tomorrow. Or she'd be like, you can ask two more. <laughs> Two more before bed. So, I, I mean, this is since I was young. I think it really got supercharged when I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. I took an AP chemistry class. I had not been a great student in middle school. Okay. I had been a bad student in middle school and kind of like a troublemaker. So I came to high school and I kind of turned my academic mind around. And it's I, hard and to I, envision Alec the troublemaker. I was arrested at 13 years old. What? Yes. Oh my God! At 13 years old, I was arrested. What? But for 13, for over like $200 worth of marijuana. Okay. At middle school, and I thought I was like a gangster. It was like a terrible. Wow! I, I would have never even envisioned that. I had long hair. 
you know, wearing giant baggy clothes. Okay. I went through my bad rebel stage very early. Okay. Some people are going through it now. And, it's <laughs> <laughs> and we're 22 and it's, it's funny to see. Yeah. But I went through it when I was about 13. Okay. And so how did that turn into curiosity? So you were curious as a kid. You go through this, like, you know, rebellious phase yeah. and, you know, exploring experience stuff. Chemistry, what? Well, so I always, you know, I still had great mentorship from my parents. Yeah. My father is an amazing man and my mother as well. And so even through this whole stage of rebellion, you could call it, I always knew when it, when it came time to go to high school, it was time to get to work and get good grades and wow. make moves in my future. That was always kind of something in the back of my mind. So what happened with AP Chemistry that I want to get to is we were learning about intermolecular forces and why something is a solid versus a liquid versus a gas. And for the first time, this understanding of why is something hard and solid versus why is it flowy and fluid versus why is something gaseous, this understanding with the intermolecular forces really just sparked this, it, it planted a seed of the world can be understood if you try hard enough. And, I, and I'm not so sure about that now. You know, I've, I've now come back to, wow, it's so incredibly complicated <laughs> okay. and, and deeply mysterious. But at, at that point, I planted the seed of things can be studied and understood. Mm -hmm. And so this was really inspiring and, and it kicked off an interest in biotechnology and you know, I, at the time, I was really interested in can we do artificial photosynthesis? This was a, and I, I thought about studying bioengineering in college. And settled for business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think business has kind of a bad rap. Okay. What By I the was, way, so I, I was uh, interdisciplinary with business was the big core. So, you know, well, and I have an MBA. You know, so. we have some people, I'm not going to name names, Ken Singer. <laughs> Around the Sinarja <laughs> Center, it. who, you know, not only, you know, don't like the idea of an undergraduate business degree, but will actively try to get students to not pursue this line of study. Okay, so this is like a strong thing that happens at the center. And what I will say is I can't imagine any other major I would do. I look at every major and I see classes I don't want to take and I see classes I want to take. I see areas of inspiration and areas that I won't be in. One thing that's hard for me with formal education, like I said, is I have this natural curiosity. Whether I'm in school or not, I will be learning. Right. I will be putting an effort to do something that is beneficial to me. And so I think what business is so great, it, it's not too difficult and time consuming. So I'm able to still learn a lot on my own and do my own thing uh, while developing the skills. Because, you know, the business students are a different breed. How so? So coming back from Argentina, I was in a very, you know, searching for myself kind of mindset. I had been thinking about a lot of spiritual, mystical type things. And so I come back and I'm just, and this is my first semester as a business major. I had just declared and I get back and I'm in my first business communications class. And I was just so blindsided by like the potency of the culture. And, and it's hard to put my finger on exactly, but there's a certain unspoken fabric of status and making money and being smart and posturing it's kind of hard i still haven't really wrapped my head around it exactly mm -hmm. but it's it's potent and on my first day back in class you know everyone was introducing themselves and no one was standing up and i was thinking why is no one standing up to introduce themselves and so i'm like one of the last people because my last name is willerman and i stand up to introduce myself because i want to yeah and why not and just the look on people's faces that i chose to do something against the norm it was palpable yeah and in many ways and, and this is i think one of the things that you addressed with ken is it's that conformity that business is known for and that that's i think why, why ken kind of gives it a hard time is because there is a, a sense of conformity that people go when they find a path and they have a track and you know 
this and that. And by the way, this is actually why I chose interdisciplinary studies. So I got to pick all my classes <laughs> yeah. and take whatever I wanted. And that um, was my other choice, actually. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I think it's the most underrated major on this campus. So, but I, I'm curious now, and this has led you to a lot of curiosity on campus, right? So you're here in Satarja Center, you're taking Haas classes, you know, you're thinking about your future, and I know have some exciting things lined up. What have you found to be the most transformational experience on campus thus far? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is taking a neuroscience class with an amazing professor, David Presti. It's called Brain, Mind, and Behavior. In my whole AP chemistry search for curiosity, I became a staunch atheist to the point that, you know, if someone believes in God or had religious stuff, I would actively refute and try to argue with them in socially inappropriate scenarios. And, you know, coming into college, I kind of had an intuition that there's something more than what meets the eye in this thing called life. But I had never heard a credible scientist really talk about what he puts as something outside of physical material. The idea that Everything comes back to physical material processes. Consciousness is a function of physical brain matter, you know? And for the first time in David Presti's class, I saw a credible scientist who, you know, is well-regarded in his field entertain, and not just entertain, but suggest that we ought to believe that there is something beyond physical materialism. And so to hear that from a credible professor really kind of gave me intellectual leeway to start thinking about these things seriously. Because the fact that the entire scientific community accepts, or a lot of the scientific community accepts physical materialism kind of made me feel crazier, you know, to start thinking about spiritual topics. But this kind of gave me leeway to do that. And so that was a major transformational period in my life. And it came right before going abroad. So then I'm out there, you know, having crazy conversations with yeah. people in South America. And so that was a, a transformational experience. I think also, oh, I know what the other one is. It's tough to talk about, though. Okay. When I was a freshman, I was on the CalMock trial team. I was made a captain of the D team, one of the first fresh, the first freshman captain. I the, was. The D team is. It's like we have three CalMock trial teams, yeah, and each one has a captain. And so I was made a captain of one of the teams, and I was so woefully unfit to be leader mm-hmm. for this particular group. And I had no idea when I started, and it just became clear through a number of of events of me being totally unaware of who my audience was that. I was not listening, that I was totally ignorant to my impact versus intent. And eventually I stepped down as being the captain in a emotional moment. And so this was, I, I want to actually place this as the number one spot because it made me realize that you're one decision away from stupid. Yes. <laughs> Which is one All thing Stephen likes to share. <laughs> and so I think just, it, it really put in me the fear of, Maybe I don't have a clear idea of what is going on in this particular leadership opportunity, and you need to listen, know your audience. And it just led me on the journey of how can I develop my leadership ability in an intentional way. And is there any other uh, transformational experiences? I mean, every day is a transformation, (laughs) Stephen. Every day, every day. No, that that's that's fantastic. It's interesting you said that about uh, the professor. What was his name? David Presti. Uh, I'll have to check that out. I, yeah. I know there's some work by uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton that is uh, around the same, the same, same ideas. So we're we're uh, running uh, here uh, close to our, our time. The last question I have for you is: What is either your favorite song or a song that you're listening to most recently that has lots of meaning for you? Mm. 
I've been listening to a lot of music in Spanish and Portuguese recently. Okay, I've been listening to a song called Tarantula. 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 It's in Spanish. Who, who's the? Uh, the it's group? by Natalie Natalia Lacunza. And why has it been meaningful? Um, it's about what I presume it's about her. Okay. Who to me is an archetype for a beautiful woman who, and she talks about how she is tarantula's venom, like her skin has venom. And this is in the lyrics. And this is in the lyrics. Okay. And, and it's about how when she gets close to people, I presume her lovers, that, you know, they lose their freaking minds. You know, they fall for her and she's cold, you know? Interesting. And so cl- clearly I have a personal connection to this sort yeah. of thing. And um, I think the reason it's meaningful to me right now is is to know that there's two sides to every story, you know? Someone can be heartbroken, and maybe it's for the wrong reasons. And what I mean by that is perhaps they're caught up in a lot of the physical aspects of the other person, the venom on her skin. You know, it's not a, it's not deep. It's not like her soul is causing them to be in pain or she's doing this on purpose. It's because maybe they were attached to a physical thing, and then when she doesn't reciprocate the, let's call it love, they lose their minds. And, and it's not her fault. You know, she has this beautiful physical body. And, you know, it's, it's venomous to certain people who allow themselves to be captivated on the surface level. And I think that that was an interesting, you know, story that I can relate to. Yeah, that's deep. It, I mean, you asked a deep question. This is what you get. That's deep. No, and, and it, it, I mean, it translates, you know, beyond just the song. In this, I, I think there's so many other lessons to take away. Of course. There's always takeaways. Awesome. Well, well, Steve, I have a question for you. Of course. What are your key takeaways from from this discussion? Uh, wow. Well, I think the biggest one is I had no idea you were arrested when you were. 30. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is um, you know, and, and I mean it, 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 it. It's fascinating to see how people's paths. Right. It, the, the one thing I think that most people don't understand is that our paths are ours to create. There is no, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. And if you did this, you can only have these things for you, right? You can go and shape it. And I think that was one of the the big takeaways is that you're certainly someone who's uh, shaping their path. So, well, this has been a really great conversation. I uh, can't wait for other students to hear it. Our very first by the way, Student Stories interview. Uh, Alec, thank you again for uh, joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh-